Well, good morning, church. So glad to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Amen. As Pastor David mentioned, uh, my name is Eli. I serve as the student pastor and young adult pastor here at Calvary. And I want to thank you for your prayers towards our students and younger generations. I continue to ask for those prayers. Uh, A lot of people are scared about our younger generation and saying that there's so many things we're going through. And like if we don't have things that we're going through ourselves. But let me remind you that God is faithful. And he is strong and he's moving in our younger generations. And there's no need to be afraid, but to be excited of how God is going to use our students and young adults. Amen. So let us continue to put that in our our spirits and in our midst. Uh, We have been in the book of Genesis and it's been really fun to see the different origins of humanity and what we've been looking into uh, in the book of Genesis. But I want to remind us of something very quickly is that Genesis, while it is in the Old Testament and it's something that was written a long, long time ago. It's so much more than just a narrative. It's so much more than, than storytelling, but it actually allows us to dive into God's word, okay, and to see who he is and what he is all about. It's so much more than hearing stories, but actually asking questions that are important and that matter, and to see how those answers to those questions apply to our lives today. Okay, so as we read, understand that we're going to read in the context of what Scripture is saying, but there are truths within these Scriptures, whether Old Testament or New, that still apply to who God is today and, and what it means for our lives. We, we always encourage our students or young adults to always, in, in, our, in our church, to, to ask a few questions when we dive into Scripture. One of the questions that we say or we ask is, is what is this passage telling us about God? Okay, what is this telling us about his attributes, his, his character, What does it say about humanity? What does it say about us? What what are the tendencies of humans and the struggles? And and why do we struggle with certain things? And and why do we see things happening and things not happening? And, And as we've seen over the last two weeks, we've been able to answer some of these questions. So we see the the origin of humanity. God's creation and and how he he brought us into existence with Adam and Eve. But then last week we saw the fall of man and and evil, the origin of evil and answering why evil exists in the world. But we left off learning about a very important attribute of God. And that is that he is holy, righteous and just. And because he is he, he he is these things, he could not allow for evil within his creation to carry on. He has to be consistent with his character. So in verse six of chapter six last week, we we read that he grieved over the sinfulness of man. Okay, we read that, that, that he had to be consistent with his character. And because of this grieving, he decided to cleanse the world. He decided to to, to, to bring a flood upon his creation. But in one man, by the name of Noah, we read that he found favor because he saw that Noah was a righteous man. And so he tells him to build an ark. And as we read, I want us to remember something. That Noah is so much more than a VeggieTales movie or, than a, or so much more than a kid's story. It's so much more than knowing where the rainbow came from and the animals going into the ark. But that is a, it's, it's a gut-wrenching story, okay? There's some serious things happening in the story of Noah, a story that should cause us to be sad, to mourn. It should cause us to have some reverential fear towards our God, but, but also to see how God's love is actually depicted in the cleansing of the world through love. 
And while our minds are finite and can't really comprehend all of it sometimes, and and it's a struggle within us emotionally, my prayer this morning is that the spirit would move as we read and we would continue to hold true to his word and to see the character of God, his attributes, his covenants and promises that we see come to fruition as we read in the story of Noah. So I'm going to invite you to stand as we, as we read God's word this morning. And we do this as a way to honor him, as a way to have reverence and appreciate the fact that we have God's word in our midst that so many people around the world don't have access to. So as I read, contemplate on what we're reading, contemplate on what God is saying in this story. And it's, it's going to be a few verses, so let's, 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 let's get it together. Okay, here we go. Then God said to Noah, Come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground so they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number on it. So Noah came out together with his sons and his wife and his son's wives and all the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds, everything that moves on land came out of the ark one kind after another. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds. He sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And again, never will I destroy all living creatures as I have done As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. We jump to chapter 9, verse 8. Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and your descendants after you. And with every living creature that was with you, the birds, livestock, animals, all that came out of the ark, every living creature on earth He's establishing the covenant. I, I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you. A covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring the clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again, he says, will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is a sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on the earth. You may be seated. May God bless the reading of his word. It is the first Sunday of February. We have survived January 2024. Uh, it is the month of love, which is why I'm wearing pink. It's, it's Valentine's coming up, and it's just, we're getting a little excited, and it's, it's fun because we survived January. But, but it also means that for a lot of us, including myself, okay, the promises that we made within ourselves the promises that we made to ourselves, maybe to a loved one, to a wife, to a husband or a child, maybe even promises to God, all of those New Year resolutions by now have probably failed, okay? You're probably not doing it anymore, okay? Probably they don't exist, but if you're one of those troopers that survived the month of January, God bless you, but for those of us who are human in this world, let me tell you that it is okay. Breathe, don't worry. Okay, again, you're human, 
We weren't built to, to sustain promises. We weren't built to sustain legalistic rules and mindsets to try and enhance our life, but rather we were built to depend on the grace that is found in Jesus. Remind yourself of that this morning when, when you don't go to the gym this week or when you tell your wife, sorry for not taking out the trash that I said I was going to, whatever it may be, remember, we're human, we're, we're sinful, we're, we're, we're broken, okay? Have grace on yourself and look back and say, it's okay, don't worry, because there's a reason for that. There's a reason why we don't sustain our promises. While we are fallen, we're broken, and live with this sickness of sin, that's the reason. Sin is anything that separates us from God, anything that misses the mark of God's standard. The good news is, church, that we follow and serve a God that is perfect and does not waver in, char in character and holiness like the way that, that we do. He remains the same through it all, and we see this demonstrated throughout the story of Noah, that he remains true to his character. That's why he had to cleanse the world. He's remaining true to his just and righteous nature. We have to look at all the attributes of God so that we can fully understand why he is doing what he is doing. Okay? He's not only just, but he is the judge as well. Okay? He's the only one worthy to be called the judge. And what he has done in, in the story is judge humanity for their sin. And he, because he must be consistent with his nature. Hence the flooding of the world. Now, it's understandable because our minds are finite and, and we struggle sometimes to, to, to see this. And, and we want to think, well, how could God do this? Why, why, why would he do this? But remember that this is coming from his grief, not his vengeance. Okay. God is not happy that he is doing this, but in fact, it was an act of mercy to keep us from destroying the world. We can't assume that these people are, are good people. Remember they're destroying themselves. They're destroying everything. There's nothing good about it. So what does God do? He intervenes in order to salvage humanity. He intervenes and does not allow us to kill each other and to cease to exist. That is an act of love to keep us from running into a fire that is burning. But while it is true that he is just and holy, we also see that he is a merciful and loving God, hence the sparing of Noah's life. And we left off last week with the rain pouring down and the ark starting to ascend. And we pick up the story in chapter eight. And, and while our main passage focuses on the covenant and the promise that God's made, we need to understand that a lot of time has gone by before we even get to that promise. In fact, in chapter seven, we read that 150 days have gone by since entering the ark. Time is going by, rain is pouring down, the ark is rocking, the animals are going wild. They're seeing God fulfill the cleansing of the world. I mean, imagine how Noah and his family felt. Seeing bodies floating all over the place. I know this person. Oh my goodness, I know that person. Dead bodies floating around. And I, and I like to imagine that they're thinking, how, when, why? Like, when is this going to stop? When is this going to end? And this is where... In chapter 8, we read some of the most encouraging words in all of Scripture. 
And every time we see these two words, and I know it can sound redundant, I know you've heard this a hundred times, but that does not take away from the fact that it is true that every time we see these two words, we need to be ready to, to jump up, to celebrate, to get excited. Because after these two words, we know we're going to receive something that is so powerful, so amazing, that we can't help it. It's the words, but God. Y'all didn't hear me. In the midst of everything going on, craziness, dead bodies floating around. At the beginning of chapter 8, the first two words we read are, but God. But God what? He remembers Noah. But God remembers Noah and all of the chaos and all of the uncertainty and fear and wondering when this is going to end. We read that God remembers Noah. Verses 1 through 5. God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. He sent out a wind over the earth and the waters receded. Now the springs of the deep and the floodgates of the heavens had been closed and the rain had stopped falling from the sky. The water receded steadily from the earth. And at the end of 150 days, the water had gone down. And on the 17th day of the seventh month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters continued to recede until the 10th month. And on the first day of the 10th month, the tops of the mountains became visible. So God remembers Noah. He remembers his family and all the animals in the ark. And that moves him to cast a wind over to stop the rain. And slowly the rain starts to recede. And while I understand this is a powerful story, there's another truth in it that we need to be reminded of. And that is that God remembers you. He remembers you. Now, there are two perspectives that we can take from that truth, that God remembers you. The first perspective is, is, is first of all, understanding that God remembering something does not mean that he has forgotten. Okay? God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. He doesn't forget things. But in fact, what we see here is Noah acknowledging that God is one who does not forget. Noah understands that God is omniscient. And while there may be moments where he might have thought he was abandoned or forgotten, he submits to this important characteristic trait of God, an attribute of God, his omniscience, and reminds himself that God still has him in his grasp. God is still in control. So we're not reading that, that, that God forgot and now remembers. We're reading that Noah actually forgot about who God is in his character and that he is someone that does not forget because he sets everything in motion. He has him in his grasp. He understands Noah. He understands what, what he's doing. God knows what he's doing. So my question for us this morning, do you feel abandoned? Do you feel forgotten? We have some, some teens in the room, some students in the room. Hey, do you feel like your parents have forgotten about you? Parents, do you feel like your parents have forgotten about you? Grandparents, do you feel like your, your kids don't call enough? They don't visit enough. No one really cares about you anymore. Maybe you feel in this room that you've been following Jesus and he's forgotten about you. No, I think God has forgotten about me. I'm here to tell you he has not. He has not forgotten about you. Because don't forget about who he is. Don't forget the God we serve. He has not forgotten you because newsflash, he doesn't make mistakes. In fact, what interests me is how 
the author also decides to inform us that, that God remembers the animals, right? And you think, well, why in the world would this even matter? Well, I believe it's because God is, a, is reminding us that he cares not only for humans, but his entire creation, knowing that these animals were made to be ruled as part of the original plan that he had with Adam and Eve. He's preserving everything in order to fulfill his divine decree, his divine plan. He has control. He has you in his hands. He remembers you and he will provide hope and moments to remind you of that. Man, I wonder how, how Noah would have felt or how Noah felt when, when he saw for the first time the tops of the mountains, right? I'd like to believe that it excited him a bit that he's turning around and saying, oh my goodness, you see the top of the mountain? It's happening. God hasn't forgotten about us. Look, the waters are receding. We can see the top of the mountains. We're one step closer to what God has already planned for us. We're getting closer and I, and I wonder if we forget that God has given us some mountaintops that we're gonna see because we're all on this journey together and we cling to God's plans and as we go along, we're gonna see mountaintops. We're going to get a taste, a glimpse that, we're, that, that God is getting close to fulfilling all of the prayers that we've been praying or at least answering the prayers that we've been praying. That after years of praying for that person to come know Jesus or praying for, for, for that need that has been so heavy on your heart, he's going to remind you that he has not forgotten you. He shows up in the moment when the friend that you've been praying for all of a sudden comes up to you and says, hey, what does it mean when, when you say that God is this? What? You're asking me that question? He's going to show up in the moment when the doctor comes in and says, hey, the cancer is receding. But regardless of the answer to the prayer, that's not the point. The point is, is that God's answering in the first place. The point is, is that God has never left your side from the beginning. The answer doesn't matter. The result doesn't matter. What matters is knowing and establishing that God, you have never forgotten me and you have never left me. Because you know what's just as important as him remembering you is the fact that he knows you. He knows who you are. And maybe you feel like people don't know who you are. Maybe you feel like people don't know anything about you. Psalm 139 says that he created us in our mother's womb, that he has formed everything about us because he knows you. I tell our students all the time this because we, we live in an age of, of social media that we, we tend, when we feel forgotten, we tend to run things to make sure that people remember us, right? And so we, we jump to Instagram or social media and we post a photo and we say, hey, don't forget my life is awesome, holding a fish. Hey, my child aced all this, right? Braces, like, don't forget about me. Don't forget who I am. Don't forget that I'm important. Don't forget, yet, Every person that comments, every person that likes that photo, on Instagram, people can randomly follow you. They don't know who you are. You think they know who you are because of a fish that you caught? They don't know you. They don't know what you've been going through. They don't know what you've been struggling with. They don't know the prayers that you've been pleading for God to answer. They don't know anything about you. They don't know the deepest, darkest parts of your soul, of your character, your fears. You don't even know that. Can you believe that? At the end of Psalm 139, we read a plea of God, search me. 
Reveal to me what's in my heart because I don't know. Reveal to me the things that I don't see because there's only one person that knows you fully. That's God. And the fact that he remembers you is because he knows you. A friend of mine told me this. He preached at our young adults and he quoted this idea that, that, that conception is not the, the, at the beginning of whatever, or whatever. The birth is not the beginning of conception, but, but it actually happens in the mind of God. You were actually alive in the mind of God before everything existed. Yeah, that's why was my reaction. Oh my goodness, go and praise God right now. The fact that our God before anything was set into motion, we lived in the mind of God. Man, he knows us so well and he has not forgotten you. He remembers you and he knows you deeply. Every desire, every pain, every hurt, everything you're going through, he knows you. But notice that, that notice this, Noah has yet to hear from God audibly like he had when God had asked him to build the ark. He's simply looking at the mountaintops and he credits God for that sign of hope. And he continues to wait because he trusts God's timing. God works in his time. Genesis 8, 6 through 12 says, after 40 days, Noah opened a window that he had made in the ark and he sent out a raven and, and kept flying back and forth until the water had dried up from the earth. Then sent out a dove to see if the water had receded from the surface of the ground, but the dove could not find anywhere to perch because there was water over the surface. So he returned to Noah. Then he waited seven more days, sent out the dove again. This time the dove returns with a plucked olive leaf. And Noah knew, very key to understand, he knew that the water had receded from the earth. But he waited seven more days, sent out the dove, and this time the dove did not return to him. Now, Noah knows that there is land. And if he wanted to, which I'm sure he did, he could have gotten off the ark. He could have gotten off. I mean, think about it. Some of us can't even wait the drive from here to wherever we're having lunch without wanting to get angry at somebody, right? We're, we're, we're humans of impatient nature. I mean, me driving home from the, from the park with my dog, my dog in the back of my truck, he, he, and instead of the truck stopping, he'd rather jump out of a moving truck, run to a bed that does not belong to him, that he's about to occupy because he's so impatient. The truck's about to stop in a few minutes, man. Now, I'd rather jump out of a moving vehicle. But Noah waits seven more days. And keep in mind, up to this point, it's been over 370 days that he has been in the ark. 370, more than 370 days. And he decides to wait seven more after knowing that he could easily have gone off the ark, after 370, I wouldn't wait another breath. I'd be jumping off that ark in a heartbeat. I'd be running. I mean, can you be in an ark with, with your family for six hours? Yeah, try 370 days. Exactly. Exactly. You would go mad, but he waits until he hears from God because he trusts his timing. He knows that a good thing at the wrong time is actually not a good thing. That it's actually an act of disobedience. It's an act of not trusting that God has a perfect timeline. We need to be reminded that a waiting time is not a wasted time. All over scripture, we see a call to wait upon the Lord. What is difficult to wait for in your season right now? What is something that you're waiting for right now that tempts you 
to jump off the ark a little too early. See, one of the things that I've realized about my life recently is, is my addiction to technology. I'm, I'm addicted to technology. I'm overstimulated constantly by podcasts and teachers and sermons and, and golf videos and music and influencers. And I'm realizing that we're not created to live in a life that is hurry, let's go, 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 but, but at a steady pace of grace. In fact, the staff this semester, we've been practicing Sabbath and what it means uh, to practice Sabbath and how Jesus lived and practiced Sabbath. And, and, and so my wife and I decided to put technology away for 24 hours on, on, from Thursday evening to Saturday night. We said, that's what we're going to do. We're going to practice Sabbath. And I can tell you with full confidence, with full transparency, we did not last 24 hours. <laughs> it did not happen. And that even more affirmed my need to practice patience. We couldn't last six hours. Okay, four, four. Fine, we couldn't last one hour without using technology. It revealed something so deeply rooted in me that I needed to submit to the Lord. I needed to practice being in the presence of God and waiting, waiting to hear from him, waiting to hear an answer to prayer or just practicing being still. I mean, I can't imagine Noah who didn't have Netflix to binge on the ark, who did not have any form of podcast or stimulus that we have in this world today. I can't imagine him surviving without practicing the discipline of waiting on the Lord. There's no way he could have survived that without knowing and being in the presence of God in constant prayer. Can we be that church? Can we be in constant prayer and mindset towards Jesus? Because as we do that, we will eventually see that God is faithful in his promises. He's faithful in his promises. Genesis 8, verses 15 to 17, God said to Noah, come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons, every living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, all the creatures that move along the ground so they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number. Does this sound familiar? This is exactly what he told Adam and Eve. I just wanna make sure that we understand the parallel between those, these two stories. That he's telling everything that he told Adam and Eve to know it, to go be fruitful and multiply. That was the plan from the beginning. So we continue reading in verse 18. Noah came out together with his sons, his wife, his son's wives, all the animals, all the creatures that move along the, all the, on the ground, all the birds, everything, all the animals. And what does Noah do? What is his response to getting off the ark? Is it let's feast? Is it let's party? Is it let's celebrate? Let's take a nap. Let's go for a walk. No, he builds an altar. That's the first thing that Noah does. He builds an altar. He worships God. He worships him. What is our response to an answered prayer? Thanks, God. Thanks for showing up again this time. Hey, he, he provided funds for the. Hey, that's awesome, dude. I'll tweet about that later. No, no, I'm not saying let's build altars, and, but I'm just asking, what is the posture of our heart when God answers a prayer? Do we sit still for a moment and recognize, God, you're faithful. You've never left. You, you never abandoned me. Thank you for answering this prayer. Regardless if I like the answer or not, you gave me clarity about who you are and what you want for my life. Thank you, God, for answering this prayer. I worship who you are. You're faithful that you listen to my cry. You listen to my plea. And then in verse 21, what do we, what do we read? That the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma from the sacrifices of Noah. 
And, and get this, the Lord said to his heart, he hasn't talked to Noah yet. The Lord said to his heart, he said, never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart, even though everything about them tells me they're going to mess up again. Everything about them leads to me believing that this is not going to work. He says, I will never again destroy all living creatures I have done. As, a lo as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. His promises hold true. He is faithful, and we are here today because of his faithfulness. J.I. Packer, in his book, Knowing God, says this. He says, how does God's faithfulness show itself? By his unfailing fulfillment of his promises. He is a covenant-keeping God. He never fails those who trust his word. What does his word say? I'm just going to read some scripture to you. Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Psalms 36, 5. Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. Psalms 119, 90. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. You establish the earth and it endures. Lamentations 3, 23. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That is what scripture tells us about God. He declares the faithfulness of God that he's here to tell you that he's going to be faithful, that the promise that he's made to you, we, he's going to fulfill. And we need to have a fixed mindset on these promises every aching moment because if we can't hold on to God's promises, we're going to be tempted to hold on to our own works and efforts that are only going to let us down. If we cannot hold on to God's promises, we're going to rely on ourselves. And that is not going to work. It didn't work then. And it's not going to work now. So my challenge for us this morning is this. To understand that he's faithful. We see that in the story of Noah. We've seen it in the faithfulness of Jesus and the fulfilled prophecies that he has. You read about it in the New Testament and the Old Testament. We see something very important that we need to walk away with this morning. And that is this. God establishes his covenant with Noah. But it's his covenant. It's God's promises. He established it. He will also sustain it. God's covenant to reconcile is not dependent on our works, but begins and ends with his faithfulness. So can we rest in the finished work of Christ and know that he will remember you and fulfill his promise to the world and to you? And here's the thing. The greatest promise we've ever received, it's not a rainbow. It's not healing from, from diseases, providing our needs, although that's amazing and we praise God for keeping those promises. But the greatest promise that we could ever have is the promise of eternal life with him through the fulfillment of what Jesus did on that cross for us. That is the greatest promise that we cling to this morning. And he invites us into that and to trust that promise. And maybe this morning, that's the first step you need to make. Maybe this morning you don't know who Jesus is and, and this Noah's Ark story was a little different than what you heard. But the truth remains that Jesus cares for you enough to die for you. And he promises that if you confess with your mouth that he is Lord, he is going to save you. He is going to redeem you. He's going to heal you. 
Not that life is going to get easier, but that he's going to be with you day and night, sustaining you through all this journey that we call life. Maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time and you feel forgotten. God has disappeared from my life because all these things are going wrong and all these things are, are not what they're supposed to be. I'm here to tell you, hold on. Stay on the ark a little longer. Be still before God. Be still before him and recognize who he is and submit to the character of his faithfulness. And maybe you're in here and you just need to rest. You need to know and remind yourself that he is faithful. And you need to remind yourself that there are people out there that don't know how faithful God is. And it's our job to go and tell them, amen. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for reminding us of your faithfulness, that your promises hold true. I pray, Jesus, that if there's anyone in here that doesn't know you, they would come to know you, Lord, and, and we would come to meet them and see them after our gathering here and pray with them and, and celebrate new life. I pray, Lord, for those that are tempted to get off the ark right now a little too early. And I pray, Jesus, that you would stir something in their souls. I pray, Lord, that you would give us good rest in who you are. It's in your name I pray. And we all said, amen.